So we are nearing our, the, 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 the first year mark for me here at Grassroots. I came on May 22nd last year, right before May Long Weekend, uh, just on it. And so we are getting very close to, to this mark. And for, for the last many months since probably, I guess, what it was, September, we started talking about Moses. And uh, this long, year-long Moses series, look, looking at the, the Israelites, the, the Exodus generation and their, their journey in the desert. And I've often thought how many times, or I've often thought many times of how our, our situation at grassroots is somewhat, there's parallels to be drawn between the Israelites and what they were going through. I, I told everyone that I was going to give sort of the first year here at Grassroots is my year of listening. I'm going to get to know Grassroots and uh, its heartbeats and get to know uh, Grassrooters and who they are and what, what makes them tick. And, uh, you know, if you remember, Moses led, his peop- led God's people out to Mount Sinai and they stayed there for about a year. And while they were there, they were searching for God's heart. They were seeking and getting to know him and, and know the, God's will for them, what he was going to have them do in the world and, and in, a, in a parallel way. We've been doing that as well, kind of figuring out uh, going forward how uh, our unique calling is going to unfold. So I'm excited. Many things that we've done this in this last year uh, to, to uh, have a sense of visioning and going forward as a church. And there was a World Cafe, which was uh, a place that we had about 60, 70 people around circle tables asking the question about the uniqueness of grassroots what what should never change about it what do you love about it and I got to to know a lot about grassroots from that forum and then from that I came up with 93 theses if you remember I came up with this 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 somewhat not so small document um, about grassroots and what its heartbeats were and if you're interested in that if you haven't seen my 93 theses about grassroots you can ask me I'll I'll be happy to send them to you Uh, we also went through a series a sermon series based on the book of Isaiah and this, this interesting little teaching in, in the book of Isaiah about how God's future, God's people are the type of people who help hostile peoples, formerly hostile peoples, come to a unique understanding of, of one another. And um, we're going forward here towards the year mark and sometime uh, at the end of May, early June, I will have, and I've been working hard on a sense of articulation of who Grassroots is going forward, what our sense of uh, purpose and, and vision is. Uh, there's one more big event coming up, another World Cafe coming up at the end of, of May, on May 28th, we'll have the circle up the tables once again, and this will be sort of my first unveiling of Grassroots 2.0, and my, I get to have a chance to see if this is, everyone's like jumping up and down with confetti, or everyone's kind of slumped over, like, oh, I guess we have another many months before Keith gets us. So everyone is invited, come to that, that's on May 20th, you'll be hearing more about that. Well, we've been, we've been uh, moving along with uh, the Moses and the Exodus generation, partly uh, in order to have a sense of solidarity with our year of planning, but also because uh, Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, there's something important about this generation, something about what they went through in the desert that is instructive, that helps the people of God be the people of God. He says it like this. All of this, he says, of this generation, of that story of, of Moses in, in the desert, all of this is an example for us to warn us not to desire evil things as they did. All these things happened to them as examples for others, and they were written down as a warning for us. And I've been talking about how the storyline of the Exodus generation helps the people of God be obedient to God and steadfast 
and hopeful in God and faithful to one another. And so as we've, as we've done that, uh, we, we've learned, I think, a lot of lessons about faith, hope, and love that we'll sort of get into more today. And we also do this because Jesus, I love this picture, Jesus was a Jewish man. You see the, the Hebrew written over the, 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 the cloak there? I love this picture. If we want to find intimacy with Jesus, if Jesus is our true king and our true Lord, we're not going to get to fully know who he is. We're not going to have a full love for him unless we understand his Jewishness. And so this is a huge thing for us as we come to be devoted to Jesus and devoted to him as king. What, what are the things that made him understand the world? How did he see it? And it was, he was a Palestinian Jewish man. And so um, we, we, we follow him as our Lord. And as we, as we learn about the Exodus generation, we understand a, a deep part of his Jewishness and the story that inspired him to do what he did in the world. So we've come a long way here. Um, if, if you're counting on the podcasts, this is sermon number 21 in the series of Moses. So uh, we've, we've come a long way with Moses. And, and if you're interested, all of those sermons are on the website, on the, on the pod, or not the podcast, but on the, um, the messages link. You can follow along there. If any one of you is brave enough to go back at this point and listen to all 20 previous messages, let me know. Maybe I will give you $100. Uh, so the, the, there's two good news things about this. It's, it's up. You can listen to all of the, the previous sermons. Other good news is you don't have to have listened to them to catch up, to understand. So, uh, so don't feel lost. If, if there, there may be a few things that I reference, but you won't be too lost if you're just jumping in today, and that's, that's quite all right. And so all, in all of these sermons, in all of this series, we have gone with the Israelites through a large journey. They began here in Egypt under the oppressive slavery. Uh, when Moses, when Moses uh, understands who, who he is in, as an Israelite, he, he grew up in the, the Egyptian court. He didn't quite understand who he was until he was older. And he, he had this experience that brought him, God brought him out into the desert and down to this place where he lived in Midian and met him here on Mount Sinai. And remember this, this, this story of the burning bush. God meets him in a burning bush and says, I, through you I will set my people free from slavery. And so Moses gets sent back into Egypt to, to take hundreds of thousands, if, if not more, people of God's people back down through the desert, back to the place where God first met Moses. And, and there they meet God as well. And we've talked about how at this place at, at Mount Sinai, they spent a year here. Uh, learning about God, understanding who he was. God was revealing himself to him. Uh, and, and we learn about this God that, that it takes faith to follow him. And it takes faith to have confidence in who he is. And it takes, uh, it takes faith to keep on, to keep on following him. And, and we see that, that faith and slavery have something to do with one another. When people are enslaved, something goes wrong inside of them. And, and their ability to be confident in God uh, is, is marred. And so we've talked about faith. And, and they've came up here. God sent them back up to the, to the uh, very borders of, of the Holy Land. This is the promised land up here where they were going. And they were at this place called Kadesh Barnea. And they, they were going to come in. See, this, the way of the spies is this way that 40 spies went into the land. Or sorry, 12 spies went into the land and uh, spied out God's holy land. And they freaked out. They, 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 they saw large, giant people there. They saw uh, fortified cities. And they said, there's no way we can do this. And they lost faith. And so God sends them to, to, to wander 40 years in this wilderness here. And as they do so, they realize that uh, it takes hope. 
to keep on going for 40 years. It takes this ability to hope and to, to stay steadfast in God. And oftentimes their hopes were shattered and they, they were very disappointed in what life had brought them. And yet they kept on going and they kept on going. And we saw, we saw a staff that, that, uh, that was a dead staff, something that was uh, a stick that had once been living on a tree that had been, that had been made to a staff. And overnight, God bloomed it again. This almond, an almond tree started growing out of the staff. And we learned that, that in, the, in the deepest of times when everything seems hopeless, when, when death seems to be reigning, that God can bring things back to life that once had died. And this is the, the core of the hope that they had. So we've talked about faith. We've talked about hope. And now it's time to talk about love. Moses gets up and preaches his final sermon. He's, I'll go back to this for a second here. He comes up into this place right above Edom. He's here at Midian, or not Midian, uh, Moab. And he's preaching his final sermon. He's just about to die. He's like an old man giving his final words. And he's reflecting back on the, all, the, all that they went through, all the many things that we've talked about so, so far. And he says, it all boils down to this, love. Hear, O Israel, he says. And this is the great call of Israel that Moses gives at the end of his life. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And this is it. This is life. This is true love. Amidst all the mess, amidst all the desert, uh, God is saying, Love me with every fiber of your being. Invest your total life in who I am, in me. Everything else is rubbish in this world compared to the love of God. And this is, this is the, the, the thing that, that he wants to, to say to us. But we have to remember, when, when Moses tells his people to love God with all their heart and all their soul and all their strength, it's not this abstract, characterless God he's talking about. He's talking about the God that led them through the desert. He's talking about the God that freed them. The God that spent a year revealing himself to them on Mount Sinai. The God who led them up into the, to the borderlands of the promised land, yet to, to lead them through the desert for 40 years. This is the God that they're supposed to love. So when Moses asks Israel to love God, he's asking them to, learn, to love the rescuing, law-giving, terrifyingly present, terribly jealous God who protects and blesses his people. And this is a challenge. It's that God who, who didn't always let things go well for, for his people. It's that God who uh, they were terrified of. It's that God who, who Moses is asking the people to love. And so this is, we have to, we have to wrestle with this because this, this, this type of love is, is not easy. And what we come up with, what I come up with when I wrestle with this, when I wrestle with this God, this particular God who Moses asks his people to love, the, the, the thing I can come up with, the best thing I can come up with is this, that God is rescuing the world from slavery. And he's asking his people to join him. Or more specifically, God wants us to help him remake the world in freedom. And so he forms in us divine selfless love. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next many weeks. This is what's happening to us if we're God's people. If we choose to follow this God who's freeing the world from slavery, this is going to happen to us. And sometimes it's going to be, uh, it's going to take all of us, all, our whole heart, our whole mind, and our whole strength to keep on going and to follow this God.
And as I was thinking about this, as I was thinking about what it takes to follow this, God, I was thinking about my father, Dave Jagger. Hopefully you're listening to this, Dad. <laughs> uh, my dad, uh, he was a really good dad. He, he was a good dad to, to me and my sister, Laura. And, uh, and it's amazing now that I have two daughters, some of the very same things that I remember him using to comfort me. I've, I've done the same thing to comfort them. And it's always a surprise when I start doing something and all of a sudden I remember, oh, that's Dave Jagger. That's Dave coming through. And the, the time that it's the worst is when I do something and my mom says, oh, that's just like dad. And I'm like, no, I'm my own person. I'm not Dave Jagger. I'm Keith Jagger. Um, but one of the things my dad, that I remember, uh, when I, I had oftentimes had a hard time falling asleep as a child. I had a hard time, um, you know, uh, taking all the thoughts that were swirling in my head and putting them to a place that allowed me to just rest. And I remember him, he'd always do this. He'd take his hand at the, on my forehead and he'd say, oh, let's take all these thoughts, Keith, that are here, and let's move them back. Move them on back. And he would just rub my head until I was at, at peace. And I, I remember that. Oh, yeah, I have a picture here that sort of helps with this. Um, and so I, I, I remember the first time Claire was, uh, my, my oldest daughter Claire was young. I remember uh, maybe she was four or five and she was like, I can't sleep. I have too many thoughts in my head, Dad. And so without thinking, let's take these thoughts and move them back. Let's, oh my gosh, what am I doing? This is amazing. Uh, and so yeah, the things of the Father pass on from generation to generation. And, and for better or for worse, I also got his, his ability to stay focused for long amounts of time and work. He, my dad worked for 40 years at the international headquarters of John Deere, and he was just this workhorse of a man. And I, I sort of got that too, for, for better or worse. And, um, and, there's, and, I, and I'm realizing as I'm thinking about all these things, and I'm thinking about this, this sermon on love and how love works, I'm remembering that God, God wants us to help remake the world. But the world is full of slavery, and it's full of selfish, interested love. And we'll talk more about what, that, what I mean by that. It's full of this slavery and selfish love, and, and it passes on from generation to generation. And there's the good stuff. The world is full of beautiful, good things, full of people who are tremendous givers and self-givers and self-sacrificers. But the world is also enslaved, and... Uh, we have to talk about how is it that we as, as God's people break the chain of the slavery so that we can be formed into the image of his love and help remake the world. And so this is what we're after in this series. Divine love. What is divine love? Divine selfless love. How is it different than romance and infatuation and attraction? And how do you get this divine love? And why is loving God so important in the process of understanding this divine selfless love? How do you get it and why, why is it the only thing that can remake this world? So we'll talk about these things over the next five or six weeks. I, forget, I haven't decided yet if it's five or six weeks. It might be five, it might be six, we'll see. Uh, but as I think about these things, I, I'm thinking more about the systems of slavery. I mean, the world is caught in chains. The world around us I mean, we don't, have to really, we don't have to really explain this too much. I mean, we can go to the extreme and talking about the, the, the awful, evil industry of human trafficking. The estimates are that there's 24 million people in the world who are legitimately 
enslaved today making all sorts of, all sorts of little pieces of technology and, and, and harvesting chocolate and, and being trafficked around the, the hotel networks of our, of our land in, in really awful ways. There are people literally enslaved today, but, but above and beyond that, uh, the world around us is enslaved with hostility, enslaved with, uh, with only uh, looking out for oneself. And I can say this because I'm American. I mean, just look south of the border. Uh, the whole country is being swept up with this ideology. Make, or not make America great again, but America first, right? America first. The, the most powerful country in the world is, is operating right now on an ideology that, that they need to be first. A selfish a posture which goes against the whole arc of the universe, which is selfless love. And it's not going to go well. It, it can't go well if, if, we, if we only act on this Selfish slavery. And so the, the sad thing about slavery, the sad thing about the world being enslaved uh, in many things is this, that it's a cycle. Slavery messes with people's ability to love. Oh, that was my elbow. Slavery messes with people's ability to love. Our ability to love is marred by people who are, have enslaved us, whether it was our the people that, that, that formed us and, and that, that, that were our, our caregivers or whether it was um, the, the work environments or the friends or the relationships we got in, when people enslave us, when people make us less than free, it ruins our ability to love. Something gets twisted inside of us. And this, the, the, the unfortunate sad cycle is that when our love gets twisted and it becomes a selfish love in its own rights, and we give and receive this selfish love, it further enslaves the world. And so what is selfish love? Now, selfish love produces all sorts of impurities. We'll talk about this uh, in two weeks. Uh, selfish love produces impurities like we call them lust or pride or greed. Or you have these seven deadly sins that, that come forth out of humans. It produces these impurities these, uh, that force us or compel us to subject other people for our own projects. And that's it. That's the heart of it. What we end up doing when we have impure, selfish love is that we begin using other people to fulfill our dreams and our goals. And that is, that is the heart of slavery, whether it's uh, an evil form of enslavement or whether it's uh, a twisted form in relationships. We, we use other people to, to, to get whatever we want. And then all of a sudden, in these relationships that are supposed to be warm and the places where we're supposed to find the most safety and security comes hostility. Hostility forms in these most sacred of relationships and all of a sudden we are experiencing this hostility and hostility is just the general outpouring of a love that's gone sour. So I love this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, Human love, this imperfect love, lives by uncontrolled and uncontrollable dark desires. Spiritual love, on the other hand, lives in the clear light of service ordered by the truth. Human love produces subjection, dependence, constraint. Spiritual love creates freedom under the word. But where it can no longer expect its desire, this is the most powerful part, but where it can no longer expect its desire to be fulfilled, their human love stops short, namely in the face of an enemy. There it turns into hatred, contempt, and hostility. So the world is caught. The world is caught 
and slavery. And as Moses gets freed from the slavery of Egypt, and as he leads his people out of the slavery into, into freedom, uh, he, he ends up at this place overlooking the, the promised land that he's not going to be able to go into. And he has all of these people, all of these imperfect Israelites that have spent many years in the desert, and he's looking back, thinking about perhaps how much of a disappointment his life had been. And he says in Deuteronomy 1, he's reflecting on the desert experience, but you were unwilling to go up into the promised land. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and, says, and said, it is because the Lord hates us that he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we headed? Our kindred have made our hearts melt by reporting the people are stronger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified up to heaven. We actually saw there the offspring of the Anakim. And Moses is saying, all of those years, all of those years in the desert, you were, you were, you were free, but your, enslave, your enslavement, all those hundreds of years in slavery, has done something to you. You were not yourself. God wanted to remake the world in freedom, so he freed me and met me and brought me back to you to Egypt to free you, to come and help free the world. And yet you were not yourselves. You had the slavery too deep within you. And Moses said, so did I. At that time, he goes on to Deuteronomy 3, at that time too, I entreated the Lord saying, oh Lord, God, you have only begun to show your servant what your greatness and your might is, what God in heaven or earth can perform deeds and mighty acts like yours. Let me cross over to see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. And, but it says, the Lord was angry with me on your account. I think this is so funny here. If we, if we read the story, the reason why Moses can't go is because he had his own idolatry spring up. Remember when he hit the rock with the staff? He had his own idolatry spring up. It was his fault. And here even Moses is saying, the Lord was angry with me on your account. He's like pointing fingers now, right? Um, and the Lord said to me, enough from you. Never speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah, this mountain, and look around. I'm going to show you all this land. Um, and, and, he, and he goes on there. Slavery prevented the Israelites from going in, the slavery mentality, and the slave mentality prevented Moses to go in as well. And then he goes on to start saying, he recounts the Ten Commandments, these laws to live by that help us to be reformed and shaped and reshaped out of this, this selfish love. He says, don't worship idols. This is a short form of the Ten Commandments here. Don't worship idols. I will be your God. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Don't slander in court. And don't covet it. Covet. Pretty straightforward. Pretty simple, right? But for the person's heart who's been enslaved, for the, the only love that they've known is a twisted, selfish love, these things are very difficult, very difficult to do when self, selfless love hasn't been formed within us. And, and, and before they had Pharaoh being kind of the, the enslaver, and now they're free in the desert, and Moses is doing nothing to enslave them, but they turn against him. Remember, they, it says, they assembled against Moses, number 16, and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. All the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. So why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? And when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. 
And so we see that in, in these people, they kept rebelling. They kept wanting to go back to the slavery. They kept, they don't understand selfless love. But Moses kind of does. He like gets it more than anyone. And so they started saying, who made you our king? Who made you our ruler? And then Moses, instead of responding and retaliating and, and stoking hostility, he just falls on his face before the Lord and um, finds a way to keep on leading them. Uh, and it's, it's a pretty dramatic story. Read number 16 there. So slavery prevented the people in the desert from being true to themselves, true to Moses, and true to God. And this is what happened. Remember, they all took off their golden rings from their ears at one point and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it into a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. Very, very shortly, maybe a month after God had said, here are my commandments for people who live by selfless love. Don't worship idols. Don't bow down to any other before me. And down they went because their hearts had been marred by slavery. And so what happened here? They says, we don't, we don't want a God to relate with. We want a God to use. We want to use this God we want to use him to keep us safe. We want to use him. And so what happens to people who want to use God? They end up making these idols. And slavery was so much deeper in them that they could ever have imagined. And God said to them, just before this, he said, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings. I'm a powerful God who brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. And God says, I'm I'm doing this for a reason. I haven't just brought you out here to torment you. I haven't just brought you out here to make you feel insecure and unsafe. I haven't brought you just for your own sake either. I've brought you out because through you, I'm going to free this whole thing. This whole enslaved world that doesn't know selfless love. It's through you I'm going to free them. So there's a purpose. God is calling his people to help remake the world. And he's saying... If in doubt, when you start losing grip, here's who I am. We're just going through the whole thing here to, to, to show how this love thing works. The Lord, here's who I am. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God says, I know something. I know how to love selflessly, and I'm going to give this to you, but this is who, who I am first. Keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And we were all cheering up to the yet by no means part. <laughs> and yet, and, and I'll talk about this in three weeks' time, that, that true love, true selfless love always tells the truth doesn't hide. It doesn't pretend. It doesn't make a person out to be more rosy than they are. True love is about the truth. And it allows the truth to come between the lover and the beloved. And that's what God is saying here. He's saying, I've got this tremendous, amazing love that you will never experience with a human being in me to give to you. 
and yet it's, it's a love you don't know. And I'm not just going to turn a blind eye to all the, the slavery of the world. It's gonna, the, the, it still has a, a role to play. So we'll talk about this. But freedom, what is freedom? Freedom means learning to love purely. Not like slaves whose ability to love is wounded and traumatized. And primarily, love is not about using other people to fulfill our own projects. So Moses gets up and he continues on in, in his, in his uh, speech, his great speech. And remember, he says to them, I'm going to give you, once again, I'm going to tell you how to do this thing. Tell you how to follow this God. Tell you the, the, the best ways to live. And he lists out the Ten Commandments again. And then he gets to this, this crucial verse that we've been talking about today. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God, this God that you've been with all these many years, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding to you today in your heart. And then what does he say? If we're going to get practical, here's what he says. Recite these words to your children. Talk about them when you are at home. Talk about them when you are away. When you lie down and rise. Bind them on your hand. That's not the end. Bind them on your hand and your forehead. Write them on your doorposts. Become obsessed with my word, says God. If you're going to do this thing, become obsessed. Become, become immersed, absorbed in my school of selfless love. And do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And so we have the scene set here with Moses giving his final sermon on love. And it's a love that's, that is a selfless self-giving love, and we're going to explore this love in the next five or six weeks, and we're going to, to try to become as well-versed in what this love is and what it isn't as we, as we talk about uh, the Israelites and all the things that they went through. But as you go today, I would invite you to, to journal. The good news, I don't know if I said this up here, the good news about God shaping us in love is that he's doing it. He's doing it with every circumstance and situation that we go through. He's consistently shaping and trying to, to untwist this marred selfish love into a selfless, godlike love. That's the good news. The, the, the challenging news for us is we oftentimes have very little control over that process. It's very difficult for us to reshape our own hearts. And so we have to learn to follow him. We have to learn to join him to join him in the situations and the things that we go through as he's using them to untwist us. Now, what when you journal, when you sit down to try to figure out, okay, okay, God, where are you, what are you doing with me right now? What, what exactly is happening to me? And, and this, this could be a, a hundred different things. God is very creative, and God is very smart. And he, he never creates evil. He never creates suffering. But he inserts himself the second after evil gives birth in the world. And he begins using it to untwist us. So journal. What do you journal? Where has slavery impacted you? This is a huge question for all of us to have to ask ourselves. How has the slavery of the world twisted me? What things got passed on to me through my young relationships or through my adult relationships or through my places of work or those who have abused me? And traumatized me. Where, where has the world enslaved me? 
That's a good first question. If you don't know those things, we, we, we learn that that's important to know, to, to figure out where slavery has impacted us. But it's also good to ask, what are your projects? What are, what are your things, the things that you're trying to accomplish in this world? Because oftentimes it's when we begin using other people that this selfish love begins to perpetuate itself. How are you tempted to use people for those projects? I love this question. Ask, what am I getting out of the people around me? And would I treat them the same if they couldn't give this to me? I ask this to myself regularly in my relationships and my situations because we slip very easily into a selfish, interested love. And what God is saying is that selfless love is about even if you couldn't give anything to me, I'm still going to be there for you. I'm still going to give to you and love you. That's the type of divine selfless love he's asking and forming in us. Hard question. And, and so, you know, I think, of, um, I think of oftentimes of people who spend the later years of their life perhaps caring for a, a loved one who's been debilitated. They've lived, you know, maybe uh, decades with a spouse or a friend or a parent. And all of a sudden, this, this person gets incapacitated and they can no longer give. They can no longer give anything. And you think of the, the courageous people in the world that spend the rest of their lives caring, or many months, oftentimes, months, years, caring for people who can't give back to them. And this, I'm, just, I'm, I'm always in awe of people that, that do this and keep going and keep giving and keep loving. And actually, it, it would be amazing if you could see the statistic of People, once their long-term spouse has, is, is, is diagnosed with MS or terminal illness, they, like, they leave them. They can't stay with them because they can no longer give. It's this selfish love saying, if you're not going to give to me, I've got I've to get out of this. But it's the selfless divine love that God is forming in us in those situations that's at play. When a person says, even though you can't give anything back to me, I'm going to care for you till the end. That's the type of love that God is after. And that's the type of love that if we all had that formed in us would help remake the world. I'm just thinking about that. Think of a community of people with that kind of love formed in them. That kind of community would make such an impact on the world around them who, who only knows slavery and only knows selfish, interested love. So as we go forward from here, We'll continue talking about love. And, and I think about Paul, the Apostle Paul again. He wrote this beautiful chapter on love. And remember what he talks about? It's this purified, godlike love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-seeking. It hopes all things, endures all things. It does not envy, and so forth. He keeps going on. And how different is this love than romance? and attraction, and the way that romance and attraction can oftentimes distract us from the very type of selfless love that God is forming in us. So that's next week. Come back next week for talking about uh, romance and attraction and how true selfless love looks in, in, in the midst of that context. So as we think about this, Selfless, self-giving love. Remember, we're not alone. We're not the ones who invented this idea. We're not the ones who actually are in charge of this process. The one who is 
once had a son who, when faced with the decision to give his life and pour it out in selfless, uninterested love and run away into the hills and find life and find self-interest, he chose the cross. And remember, he asks us, like servants, to continually learn how to serve one another. And it's this Lord that told us week after week to come to the table. Jesus teaches us to come to this table week after week because in the broken bread and in the poured out blood symbolized here by juice, this is where we find the way forward. This is where we find our way into this selfless love. And so as we come forward today, I would invite all of us to consider where in my life Am I using people for my projects? Who in my life would I love to look in the eye and say, if you couldn't give anything back to me, I will give everything to you. This is the type of love God's after. And this is the type of love he forms when we come week after week into community and at the table. So I would invite us, I would invite you today to the table to bring your thoughts and your prayers and your desire for this selfless love to be born in you to the table as you take the bread and dip it into the juice. So the table is set here for us all, and everyone here is welcome.